All right, well, let's, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into a new series this morning. Um, it's actually a series on prayer. This is kind of building off of the last, last sermon two weeks ago that I taught on solitude and sanctuary. And so kind of that solitude section, the importance of getting away and spending time with the Lord and cultivating that relationship with him, and the power that has to bring rest and to bring restoration Comfort, healing. God intended for us to be in healthy relationship with him. And so we're going to spend the next three Sundays unpacking um, this idea of prayer. And so let's, let's pray and ask God to teach us how to pray. Amen? All right. Well, Lord, we, um, we acknowledge you one more time this morning. God, we invite you one more time today. Lord, we position ourselves like, like the disciples who... They, they watched you, they were aware of you, they saw you work, they saw you move. They looked at John the Baptist, they looked at his followers, and they said, there's something we're missing. There's an area we want to grow in. And so, Lord, they came to you and said, teach us to pray. And so, Lord, that's, that's our request now. God, would you teach us to pray? Lord, if this is an area of our lives that... Um, We've given time and thought and attention to. God, we, we do pray. Lord, would you, would you expand our territory? Would you challenge us, encourage us, remind us of some things? Lord, if this is new territory for us, God, maybe prayer has been something that's made us nervous or uncomfortable. We feel uncertain. Well, we're right there with Peter and James and John. They were uncertain. And you lovingly taught them. And so, Lord, would you teach us? God, some of us have, have been wounded. Lord, we've, we've asked you for things. We've trusted you for things. We've, we've walked through disappointment. And God, it's, it's hard to pick ourselves back up off the ground and re-engage. But Lord, would you remind us tenderly of your love, of your goodness, of your mercy. God, would we dare to have faith to lean in again, to pursue you again, and trust that you're good and it's worth it. Lord, wherever we find ourselves, God, I, I pray that we would invite you in. And so we do invite you into this room this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, there's, there's no way really that we can ever um, mine the depths of prayer. Um, we certainly in three weeks can't cover every topic or aspect related to prayer, um, but there's, there's kind of an intentional focus of this next three weeks um, that I want to share with you guys. And so I'm, I'm titling this series Remodel, Remodel. And so the idea is approaching our prayer life from the standpoint of tending to the internal, tending to our soul, our spirit, tending to what's going on inside of us. And so, I don't know, I, I played around a lot with like a tagline or something, but the, the picture I've, I've had in my mind is that there's this house that God has for us. There's this place that he's made for us. And it's a place that we live in together. You know, we started last fall on a series on the Holy Spirit talking about abiding. And Jesus' prayer for us is that we would abide in him and he would abide in us. It was this idea of 
We are God's home, his dwelling place. And so my heart for this series is that we would view the prayer closet as the place that the renovation starts. That, that we would learn to see that place that God invites us to where we can be with him as a place where we can go, we can meet him there and, and give him the keys to the house and say, Lord, would you start going room by room? I'm giving you access. I'm giving you permission and letting him roll up his sleeves and get to work in our lives. And so most of this morning's message is laying a foundation for that. Um, a big part of this message is kind of some honesty and a warning, to be honest with you, because prayer's hard. Prayer's hard. And if we pray prayers like God come take over, we better be certain we're serious about that prayer because he, he takes those seriously. And he'll say, all right, let's go. And then the next thing you know, he takes a hammer out and it's demo day, as I've learned about from my fixer-upper viewings. It's demo day, and it might be one of his favorite days, too. I know Chip loves demo day. I think God likes demo day a little bit. Like, there's some stuff that's got to be, got to go. It's got to be knocked, knocked out, torn down. And that, that hurts. Like, if we really invite God to do some remodeling, this message isn't, hey, guys, this is going to be beautiful and wonderful and You'll love the new wall colors and wait till he really opens up that living room. It's that open floor plan. Like, it's going to be awesome. It will be. But it's half the story if we're not honest about the fact that if we open up our lives to the Lord and let him in, he's going to start doing some stuff that's good for us and is painful. So, man, this just sounds exciting, doesn't it? Everybody, I can just tell y'all are like, yes, let's go for it. All right, so... Here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to cover just several sections of Scripture that, that talk about us being God's home. It uses the imagery of, of the temple. And so we're going to look at a few of these together. And what I, what I want to invite you to do is um, try to come in with a blank slate. And what I mean by that is there are times where there might be a concept or an idea that we've heard before. It's familiar to us. And so we can just kind of go, I know this. My hope is not that you hear an idea or a concept and go, I agree with that, or I believe in that. My hope is that you'll, you'll hear this picture that the Lord paints about how he's made us and go, God, what does this mean to me today? What does this mean to me today that, that you want to make your home in me? and that there's stuff you want to do in my life. What does that mean for me? And so I would just encourage you to approach it that way. So first and foremost, right off the bat, because I think it's essential that we get this concept, in Psalm 127, we're just going to look at the first half of the first verse. Um, we've got this psalm that was either written by Solomon or some scholars believe it was written by David to Solomon as an encouragement, because Solomon was going to be the guy who would build the temple. David had longed to do it his whole life. He wanted to be the one to build a house for the Lord. They had just had the mobile, temporary tabernacle up to that point. And, and David, it was in his heart to build God this temple. 
But, but that wasn't his, his role. That wasn't his job. He had to pass the baton to his son. And so Solomon is either, either considering this, reflecting on the things that his father David had poured into his heart as he sets out to build the temple, or these are the words of his father to him. So let's hear it with that mentality. Psalm 127, uh, first half of verse 1. This is a song of ascents of Solomon or for Solomon, as some translations say. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. This is why this connects to our series on Sabbath rest. The minute we start talking about prayer, spiritual formation, any, any form of like the spiritual disciplines, you know, reading my Bible, journaling, any kind of growth um, just in our character, it is, it's so easy for us to come over here into the land of working and striving and earning and doing. And, and yes, we have a part to play. We do. And we're going to dig into that throughout the series. We have a part to play. We cooperate with what God wants to do. But the primary way we cooperate is we let him work. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of trust to say, God, you come do it. You build the house. I, I don't want to strive any longer. I'm exhausted from striving. Or maybe I gave up striving a long time ago and just settled for a certain mediocre, complacent way of living. I don't want any of those things anymore. God, would you come work? And so we start there. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So three examples in the New Testament of this picture of us being the true temple of God. The first, the first place we're going to go is Acts chapter 7. You could read that whole chapter for more context. Um, especially you could read verses 44 through 60. This is where Stephen one of the early followers of, of Jesus. He's, been, he's come to the Lord. It's those early days in the book of Acts, and he's a faithful servant and boldly declares the truth, and he is being put on trial before some of the very same people who had killed Jesus not all that long before. And so he is speaking some truth to them, and we're going to pick it up here in a minute, but, but leading up to where we're picking things up, He's saying to them, there's something you're missing, and your fathers missed it too. Y'all had the tabernacle in the wilderness where the presence of God would show up. Then you had the temple that Solomon built, this house that was made for God. And yet, that's not his true house. Acts chapter 7, verse 48. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And then he gets right to the issue, and in this instance, it's in a hard way. But he gets right to the issue. This is about your heart. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, that means stubbornness, pride, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. I'm not going to get into the whole thing on circumcision here, but it's, it's always been a picture of God dealing with sin, cutting out sin and removing it. And so he's saying you haven't dealt with that sin. You're prideful and you haven't dealt with your sin, and so 
It, it clouds your ability to hear clearly. It, it, it affects your heart and your ability to receive. And he gets right to the issue. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen introduces this idea of a true building that goes beyond a gathering place. It goes beyond a, a, a sanctuary, a temple, a school cafeteria with curtains. It goes beyond all that. God's true home is in heaven, and then he, he wants to make his home in us. But he says, he says to these people, be careful, because you've, you've begun repeating a pattern that's been modeled for you. Where, where you're kind of trapped in your own stubbornness and pride. You've got it figured out. You've got sin that you've just welcomed and accepted as a normal part of your life, and you don't want to deal with it. And so whether you realize it or not, what you're doing is you're resisting the very one who longs to come make his home in you. And it's a, it's a harsh warning. Now, Paul picks this up just 10 chapters later in Acts chapter 17, so where Stephen is talking to God's people who should know better, Paul walks into Athens. He's now talking to Gentiles, folks who are ingrained in the, the Greek and Roman culture. And he goes through this temple, if you will, where there's all these different gods. There's all these different belief systems represented. And it's just kind of a, we'll pull from whatever we can to build our own spirituality, that sound familiar to anybody? Pull a little bit of this. Pull a little bit of this. And just in case we're missing something, there's this spot over here for the unknown God that maybe we haven't heard about yet because we're always chasing the next new thing. And so Paul says, let me talk to you about that. <laughs> let me tell you about this God you don't know yet. He's the one who made everything. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And here's what he wants you to know. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I mean, it sounds like he's quoting Stephen, doesn't it? Like Stephen just said that. <clears throat> he doesn't need anything from us since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. That's the purpose. God picked this time for you. I remember when I was a kid, I used to wish I grew up in the Wild West. Seriously, there was like a six month or a year period. I don't know. Like I wanted the six shooter and the whole deal. Like how fun would that be, riding horses and everything? Like, and, I, and I would have that throughout my childhood, different things I would aspire to. I wish I had lived in that period or that period. God handpicked this time and place and season for you. Your dwelling on this earth was picked by him for a purpose that you should seek God, verse 27. And that we could perhaps, they could perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Listen, this is, this is a message everyone needs to hear. 
whether it's the people of God who are Bible Belt legacy Jesus followers or folks who, who don't know him at all. God designed us to be in relationship with him, so much so that we live in him and he lives in us. <clears throat> and so Paul says, hey, grab hold of this. He has something for you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find him. He wants you to discover him. The message doesn't stop there. It's not just to Old Testament Jewish mindset. It's not just to Gentiles who don't know the Lord at all. Paul talked about this concept to the church because the church didn't get it. The people who had heard the good news were still missing it. And so he writes a letter to the Corinthians. And listen, there's a lot of wonderful things written to the Corinthians about the life we have in him. And in fact, it's, it's in the letter to the Corinthians that we hear so much about the Holy Spirit and him showing up in our lives and the gifts that he gives. But Paul had some hard words of, of correction for the Corinthians as well. And so we hear some of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't belong to you anymore. That's what he's saying. The message that all of this is saying is, is this. We were made, created, designed to house the presence of God. We were made for that. And that was broken at the fall, but it's been broken in all of us. And so, you know, the, the power of the gospel is that Jesus came to reconnect us to the presence of God, who's the source of life. The, the cross deals with some important things that need to be dealt with. Sin is dealt with on the cross. Guilt and shame is dealt with on the cross. It's paid in full. He, he, he deals with what separates us from God. He defeats death itself. We have the promise of resurrection life. All of that is rooted in our connection to the source of life himself. Think about the implications of this. Jesus is on the cross and declares, it is finished. And what happens next? The veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from everyone else was torn in two. And we now know, because of the writer of Hebrews, tells us that we can boldly enter that throne room because of the work of Jesus. We were designed to be connected with God. We were designed to be connected with him. And listen, prayer is the language of our communication with this God that we were designed to be connected with. That's the language. Like if you think of ways that you connect with your close friends, your spouse, your family, you, you might think of ways that you do that. You do it around food. I mean, that's the first one that comes to my mind, 
I like to eat, and it might make hanging out with these people slightly less painful if I eat something good. I'm sort of kidding. Maybe that's more real at Thanksgiving. I don't know. Listen, <laughs> mammals with me. Listen, yeah, that was harsh. Um, here, here's the point. Here's the point. There are ways that we connect with each other. We connect around food. We gather around common things that we enjoy. We go have life experiences together. We experience things apart, and we come back together and talk to each other about it. I mean, half of what's fun about my Nashville trip is I get to come home and talk to Alex about the people we know and love that we got to hang out with. I'm revisiting it with him. We, we connect and we form relationship with one another. Prayer is the vehicle for doing that with the Lord. And actually, he's given us a lot of these practical things that we enjoy. Those are gifts from him. Why do you think we take communion? He says you can connect with me over bread and wine because he knows we like food and wine. Let's associate that with connecting and communing with him. And so, so prayer is this invitation. But in this invitation, there's a warning. There's three things that we need to see right here from these passages that I covered because the people in these passages responded in three ways. The church itself responded with compromise. They settled for less than. They settled for less than. They traded the, the intimacy and the joy that comes from having peace with God and his presence in your life. They traded that to be complacent and play around with sin because all things are permissible, but not all things, or all things are lawful, not all things are beneficial. I'm butchering the quote. We just, we can, you know, there's grace. Listen, part of his grace is that we can experience the fullness of his life and his power and his presence in us. I don't want to just settle for being forgiven. I want to I wanna enjoy victory. I want to enjoy freedom. I want to have peace with God. That's what's available. But one of the ways that we can respond if we're not careful when we hear this invitation is we kind of inherently know it's going to be difficult and stretching. And so we settle for less than and compromising. It's one possible response. The next response is what Paul experienced um, with the Romans. He was just blown off and mocked. That was their response to what he shared. He was, he was mocked and disregarded. That's, uh, okay, that's fine, that's good. That's a cute, quaint way of looking at things. But they, they preferred to accumulate and gather for themselves their own handcrafted spirituality. Guys, if there's not, that is a huge danger for us. It is, it's so easy to pull from and gather from the culture around us or, or other, other religions or ideas. And listen, part of why it's appealing is they've grabbed a hold of some element of truth. Like they're just things that are true and right and good. And so they, they touch on them a little bit. But Jesus is the fullness of truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I just wonder, even in our Christian circles, how easy it is 
to spend more time absorbing books that a bunch of other people have written, concepts a bunch of other people are talking about, instead of just going to the source. David was called a man after God's own heart. He didn't invite people into his library of the thousands of books he'd been exploring to find God. He got on his knees and found God. He's out in the field watching sheep, worshiping God. Listen, guys, I know inherently that when we talk about prayer and worship, like, it's weird to us guys. I was, I was sharing with a couple guys yesterday, like, it's gotten familiar to me to stand in front of people and raise my hands and sing. Y'all, that is weird. It's uncomfortable. When I first started doing that, I didn't like it. It was sacrificial. Like it was an act of humility to me to go, I'm gonna raise my hands in front of people, not worry what they think. This is something I see and I read about and God, I just, I want what you have for me and so I'm tired of being ripped off from that. David is as manly as it gets. He's a teenager killing giants and then cutting off their head with with Goliath's own sword. Like, Like David was hardcore warrior. In fact, the scripture tells us the reason he wasn't allowed to build God's temple was he had too much blood on his hands. This is a manly man, but he loved God. He had intimacy with God. That guy, how did that guy write the Psalms? (laughs) Guys, we got to begin to believe that the manliest thing we can do is hit our knees and humble ourselves before the God and creator of the universe. That the strongest thing we could do for our spouses, for our children, or if we're young men who aren't there yet, preparing for the men we're gonna become is having the courage to be willing to be mocked like Paul was, to be considered foolish because true strength starts with humility. We don't need to be embarrassed about it. We don't need to be intimidated by it. Part of what I'm thankful for, you know, there's a, there's a whole separate problem with people being hypocrites in their prayer and praying publicly. Part of what I'm grateful for is what we're gonna look at next Sunday. Jesus said, don't do all the public stuff. Go into the secret place and pray and meet your father in the secret place and he'll reward you out in the world. We actually get to go hide and do it a little bit. <laughs> we get to practice We get to be with him. Don't don't worry about being ashamed or embarrassed. Let's pray. Thirdly, listen, this third danger on the surface, it might not sound like something we would face, but we do in our own way. The response to Stephen when he said this stuff, anybody know what happened to Stephen when he finished talking? He was stoned. He was stoned. And he told them, this is what you do to prophets who come and talk to you about the God who came to you. This is your God. You're the people of God. And you've always killed his prophets. And then you killed his own son. And then they turned around and killed Stephen. Now that may not seem very real to us, but there's a very real danger 
when we are settled and set in our ways and we've heard about God our whole lives to get so calloused when we're invited to go somewhere with him. When he's standing at the door and knocking that we silence that voice. We silence his call. And when we do that, we're killing something. We're killing something. He's, he's calling us. Will you come to me? Will you let me in? Will you commune with me? Listen, I'm giving you these warnings because that's what's there. <laughs> you go research this topic of us being the temple and it's full of these kinds of warnings. Like, like God wants to come be with you, but there is this thing in us that resists it. Pride resists it. Embarrassment maybe resists it. Just the temporary pleasures of pursuing other things resists it. And so I, I hope, my, my prayer, not that you hear this list and go, man, maybe I'm all of those things. My, my prayer is that we would just maybe start by saying, God, do I have a door closed? Is there, is there a wall up? Is there a veil that remains? Is there a place I've never been willing to go with you? Lord, is there a place I used to go with you? And through complacency or discouragement, disappointment, whatever, I've let that door close again. See, the, the reason it's so difficult to teach on prayer is it's, it's like if, if somebody came to me and said, tell me about your relationship with Amy. I don't, I don't know how to tell you that. We've developed a close relationship over years. And honestly, there's not too much of that I want to tell you because it's, it's personal. It's us. We have something special and unique, and I treasure that. So I can give you some ideas and some advice, but like it's, it's your, you know, you have your own relationship with your spouse. Treasure it, develop it. I, I'm just saying to you, God made us to house his presence. And he warns us that there are real obstacles that stop that from happening. But those obstacles do not have to remain. The veil was torn. Jesus said it's finished. Will we invite him in? Will we invite him in? I'm going to skip the next verse because I just talked about all the stuff that was going to go with it. But if you want to reflect you can flip back three chapters earlier in Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul talks some more about this idea in verses 16 through 18 of us being God's temple. And the, the basic idea is this. Are we willing to lay down our pride and are we willing to set aside our desires and let him have the keys? Let him have the keys. Well, I meet him in the prayer closet and say, here you go. All right, I, I want to wrap up. So much of this message was kind of warning and be aware of obstacles. I, I want to I turn now and take five or 10 minutes and point us in the direction of where we're going, all right? And so as, as you maybe sit with some of this and reflect on it, yes, take some time to say, God, are there some honest obstacles keeping me from this? But then let's look ahead and go, God, how do I start leaning into what you have for me? So let's, let's return to Solomon for some instructions. 
So back to Psalm chapter 127. Now we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Hearing this again, I'm purposely bookending what we just said with this. This is a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his, to his beloved sleep. This message isn't about go do a bunch of really difficult work. If you don't like waking up early, wake up an hour earlier than you do now and work really hard to pursue him. I think part of what's so broken about how we approach prayer is we associate it with an unwelcome task. It's something that's not fun and it's difficult and it's miserable. Jesus went on mountaintops to pray. Like cultivate a place of rest and refreshment where you want to go meet him there. Find a spot or a few places. Create that space where you can go rest and be in his presence. It's not about toil. It's not about labor. It's about resting in him and, and letting him come build something. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, if you read verses 9 through 21, you see David's kind of final words to Solomon as he's commissioning him to build the temple and he's preparing for his coming death. And so I'm going to give you a, a taste of it, but you can read it all there. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, 9 through 21. Verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. He gives you the option. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Guys, we got one house. We got one lifetime. God wants to build something in us. The, this picture that we're going to begin exploring more in depth next week when we look at the Lord's Prayer is it, it, one of the things that happens early in that prayer is Jesus is inviting God to come do on earth what he's doing in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if we started viewing ourselves that way? What am I going to be like in heaven? What's in heaven? God and his people. That's what's in heaven. What's in heaven? People in the presence of God. People that have been remade and reborn and experiencing full life. So what if I viewed my prayer life as I've got, there's one house right here for as long as I'm on this earth that God is building. And what if I was inviting him to come in and build this life on earth as it is in heaven? What if I started looking more and more like what I'm going to look like in heaven? How cool would that be? And so David is saying, son, 
You got, you've got this thing to build in front of you. Go after it. How does he tell him to go after it? Know God. Serve God. Give him your whole heart and submit your mind to him. He says, listen, God knows all your plans anyways. He knows what you're thinking, what you're struggling with, what you're going through. He knows all of that. So invite him in. Give him your heart. Give him your mind. And he promises him something. Solomon, if you seek God, you will find him. In fact, he says it in a really cool way. If you seek God, you will be found by him. Isn't that cool? We'll be found by him. When I go looking for him, I discover he's already been looking for me. And he's right there going, got you, buddy. How cool is that? And then he finishes, verse 20 now, after he gives him all these specific instructions that, by the way, the specific instructions that David gives Solomon with all these details about the temple, David says multiple times in those passages, I received this from the Spirit of God. David got the entire layout of the temple from spending time with God. He was given that picture. What if he gave me the entire layout of what he's doing in my heart and life? Because I, I spent time with him. So David finishes and he says, Son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. It's going to be hard at times. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. That's the invitation that we would be strong and courageous and go for it. That we would invite him to come complete the work that he's begun. He bought me with a price. He was happy to do it. I'm, I'm no longer my own, I'm his. What if I started acting like it? What if I gave him the keys and said, it's yours, what do you wanna do? God, today, what are you gonna do today? I'm going to leave you with a picture of what it'll look like. Because Jesus is ready to remodel his father's house. And we know that because when he went rolling into the temple, he had something to say about it. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You want to know what it's going to look like? Jesus is saying, hey, don't sell yourself short. There's a bunch of liars and thieves out there that want to rip you off from what you were really made for. And so if, if you'll let this place be a house of prayer, here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to come in and rearrange some furniture. There's some stuff that's going to go. But what I'm going to replace it with is healing. I don't think it's an accident that he says specifically there that he healed the lame and the blind. Things that we can't even see or understand. He wants to bring clarity vision, honesty. 
He wants to open our eyes to something we can't even imagine yet. Lameness, weakness, struggle that we have, he wants to heal it. This is what a house of prayer will look like. If we invite him in, there's some things that are gonna go and there's some healing that's gonna come. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you want to cheat and look ahead, you don't have to wait till next Sunday. We're gonna be reflecting on two things. The next two weeks, we're gonna reflect on the Lord's prayer and the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness and see some unique connections between what he asked God to come and do in contrast to what the enemy wants to distract us with and try to get us to do. They tie together really closely. It's interesting. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. If you want to look at my notes, I've also got Luke's gospel in there as well. I'm going to pray for us. And I want to encourage you to go seek him in the prayer closet. Hand him the keys. Invite him to remodel. Ask him to show you what, what closed doors you might have. And then invite him to come rearrange some furniture, to knock down some walls, and to come bring some healing into your life. That's what he has for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your great love for us. God, I, I thank you that you saved us for yourself. You saved us so we could enjoy what you enjoyed, communion with the good and perfect Father who loves us, the one who is both creator of the universe and intimate loving Father. God, you know us better than anyone. Lord, you know where, you know where we hide you know where we run. You know the calluses on our heart, the obstacles in the way. God, you know where pride gets in our way, where complacency and sin gets in the way. Lord, where just being intimidated or distracted gets in the way. Whatever it is, God, you know it. Lord, you know wounds that are there. Places where we, we were disappointed by you. Hurt let down. God, you know all of this. And God, you love us. You're patient with us. And you, you long to, for us to feel at home with you. And you long to come in and commune and abide with us. Father, I pray that we would hear the invitation to be in your presence. We were made to house your presence we are remade when we let your presence reside here. God, come remodel. Come have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.